Well, good morning to you, and yes, happy Father's Day to all of you, those who are fathers and those who are not. We all have fathers, and we give thanks for them today. And so we give thanks for the gift of our earthly fathers and through them reflect upon the great work of our heavenly father, of whom all of our earthly fathers were poor models, no doubt, as am I as an earthly father. I pray for my children because when they think of God, they think of me. They, they can't help but do that. When they think of father, they, they, they think of me. When I think of my heavenly father, I think of my dad. You know, not identical, but the images I think of um, come from him. And uh, that's a scary thing for us. And we have to, in some sense, we all need to be liberated from that because our fathers were all poor reflections of our heavenly father. But nonetheless, they were the ones that God gave us and uh, we're thankful for them and the fact that they brought us into life. Today, we begin a new series. Uh, we've worked our way through the church calendar using that this year in different ways, not the lectionary, but reflecting and using our themes, taking our themes, if you will, from the church calendar. But today, we're going to jump into a new series in this ordinary time, as we've thought about, and that is we're going to look into 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a daunting book. For one, it's long, but two, it's filled with a lot of thorny subjects, um, many subjects that we don't typically think about, or well, we think about them, but we don't typically hear about them in the church or preach on them. When you hear people refer to Paul, generally it's Romans, maybe Galatians and Ephesians, uh, maybe his pastoral letters, but uh, but First Corinthians and the topics in there often get overlooked. There's some challenging ones, ones that are going to challenge me to have to preach on. That's why I chose to do it, because it's going to make me uncomfortable <laughs> from time to time through this series. Maybe it'll make you uncomfortable as well, and we'll all be uncomfortable together. First Corinthians is a challenging book. Because the city of Corinth and the church in Corinth was a challenging church. But it's a great book to preach on because it's a church that I think we can identify with, not in all its ways here at Affirmation, but, but the culture into which Paul is ministering in this place and in this letter is, is a place even though 2,000 years ago that will be very familiar to us. It's, it's, it's downtown Manhattan, right? It's New York. It's something we can relate to. The Corinthian experience was not, I think, is not unfamiliar to us. So Paul writes to this city. Corinth was a port city. It was a city filled with people coming in and going out. It was a melting pot, if you will, of ideas and thoughts and religions and philosophies and ideas. It was bustling with life, but it was also bustling with perversion. It was bustling with all kinds of sinful delights. It was bustling with things that were going to be distractions and temptations to the church. And Paul's going to help this church navigate their way through that. In some sense, 1 Corinthians is like a long exposition on Romans 12, 1 and 2. 
to treat your bodies as living sacrifices, not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed in the renewing of your mind. Paul, in some ways, I'm not saying that's what he thinks he's doing in it, but just to help us approach the book, in some sense, 1 Corinthians can be thought of as an extension of that passage. He's dealing with a church on the ground that is dealing with all kinds of complications of living in the world, living in Corinth, being Corinthians, probably, though a lot of them are probably, you know, uh, immigrants to, to Corinth, but living in this place and yet delighting in Christ. And how do you live as a Corinthian Christian, as a Christian in Corinth? What is okay? What has to go? What has to be put to death? What can be brought into my life? How do I minister in a society where I got to do business with these people? I'm engaged. These are my friends. These are my colleagues. These are my business partners. And yet our worldviews and our lives are so radically disparate. We can relate to this. This is the Northeast. We understand these things. Not that those not in the Northeast can't understand it, wherever you are. I mean, this is, this is modern America now in so many ways. And so, and so many of the things that they're wrestling with in Corinth are things that we see our own culture wrestling with. Some that I wouldn't have imagined a couple years ago. But now it's like, oh, wow, okay. Painfully uh, irrelevant now. So that's what we're dealing with in 1 Corinthians. So it's a chance for us as we go into this summer to for us, I think, do something a little different. It's theology, and yet it's theology with boots on the ground. It's it's theology applied. It's theology lived out in Babylon. Theology lived out in Corinth. Theology lived out in the Northeast. And what does that look like? Where can it apply? So that's what we'll be doing as we take a look at this letter. Paul is writing to a church. This is not the only, you know, we know we have, First and Second Corinthians, these we know are not the only letters Paul wrote to this church. There was correspondence even prior to this letter that we're reading, which is First Corinthians for us because it's the first one we have. But already there has been correspondence with this church. Paul has already spent time in Corinth. He has lived in Corinth for 18 months and his missionary journey uh, uh, and spent time with them in his second missionary journey. Lived there, loves the Corinthians, ministered there. He, he loved battling with the Greeks. And this is, these are Greeks, but they're, they're Roman Greeks, if you will. Of course, this is the time of the Roman Empire, but also Corinth was a city that was a thriving Greek city. And when the Romans conquered, Corinth was destroyed, rebuilt. And then in time, uh, Romans, Italians brought into, uh, Corinth to inhabit it and restore it again as a great trade city. So it's a complex dynamic in, in Corinth. It's not just purely Greek. It's it's Greek and Latin together uh, in the city. Paul loved them, but whew, it was a complicated place to minister. And you see that in the book. Not only do we have the this just the sinfulness of a big trade center, port city. It actually had like two ports. It was between two ports and so it had all kinds of, of things coming in and through it. And as such, you had all kinds of false teaching coming in there. And Paul had to wrestle with that. And we're going to see that very quickly in the book, 
right? He's even going to challenge. You heard in what Mark read is Mark read all of chapter one. We're just looking at verses one through nine today. But you heard that, right, about the, the Greek seeking wisdom and so forth, right? There, there was all kinds of teaching coming into Corinth, and Paul had to help them sift out the teaching of all these religions and ideas and philosophies that were coming in and focus them on the wisdom that is Christ. All right, so that's the complex nature of this book. Now, let's take a look at our text here this morning. Again, just an introductory uh, text for us, but nonetheless, a lot of wonderful things are mentioned here. We're looking, and it's already been read for us, uh, verses 1 through 9. So I want us to think really uh, about a couple things. First, I want to look at Paul's self-identification. Then I want to look at Paul's identification of the Corinthians. And then I want us to pick up on the phrase that I used for the title of the sermon, enriched in everything. So let's let's think first about Paul's self-identification here. And you heard the very similar words used in Ephesians, which was our word of exhortation today, Ephesians 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. Okay, so these are greetings coming from Paul and also Sosthenes. But, but, but it's Paul's self-identification here. That's just, it's just a good chance as we begin the letter to reflect again on how Paul saw himself. Paul is called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now notice he doesn't just say Paul, comma, and it would be fine to do this, Paul, comma, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he throws in the fact that he was called. That is to say, Paul looked at his own ministry and did not see it as self-chosen. It's not like Paul looked at all the things he could be in his life and decided, you know what I think I'd like to be? I think I'd like to be an apostle. In fact, we know that Paul had no intention of being an apostle. He was a persecutor of the church, right? He was an agent of Judaism. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. That's what he signed up to be. That was his resume. And then on the road to Damascus, the Lord called him, knocked him from his horse, if there, in fact, was a horse, you remember that in Acts. It's not mentioned in the book, but for some reason, I just believe there was a horse there. Knocked from his horse, blinded, and then called by Ananias to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And this is important because in First and Second Corinthians, Paul is going to be battling with these other so-called apostles, what he calls these super apostles, these Gnostics, these teachers who are traveling in through Corinth, who claimed to be superior, who actually talked down Paul, who called the Corinthians not to listen to this guy. Look at him. He's not very impressive, right? He's, he's a poor speaker. What are his credentials after all? But we, you should listen to us. These are the slick salesmen. These are the guys who are coming in, wheeling and dealing, speaking with the, the wisdom of the Greeks, if you will, and luring the church of Corinth away from the gospel. But Paul introduces or reintroduces himself here in this letter by reminding them this, what my task, my authority, my responsibility was given to me. I didn't sign up for this. I don't get it because I think I'm greater than those guys over there. I was called to this, called to be an apostle. That is a sent one, a messenger. That's what I am, Paul's saying. I am a messenger, not of my own message, but I am a messenger of Jesus Christ. And then just to add on 
kind of come back and say it once again so you can hear how Paul's doubling down, tripling down on this. I'm called to be an apostle, that is a sent one. So a sent one by definition serves another, right? You don't, you don't, no one in that sense then is, is a self-made apostle. You are a sent person, right? So called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ and then tripling down through the will of God. This was the, the reason I am what I am is because of the will of God. And all of this is in contrast to the super apostles. And I put that in air quotes, the super apostles, these Gnostic teachers who do not have this on their resume. They have what they have because they claim themselves to be wise in and of themselves. But I, Paul, am called by Christ to be an apostle of his by the will of God. So good for us to remember how Paul sees himself going into this. Secondly, let's look at Paul's identification of the Corinthians. What does he think about them? And this is interesting. You get in verse 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Okay, so let's notice a few things here. First, he calls them the church. Now, this is, this is good for us. This has been good for me to remember. Oftentimes, right? Because you pursue theology, you pursue purity in the church, right? We look at other churches and we can criticize them. We can wonder whether or not this church is a true church. We, we think about this with regard to the Catholic church. Or we think about this regard to like the Episcopal Episcopal Church or churches that have gone very liberal, the BCUSA. Okay, right? We look at denominations and we can be very critical of them. And we can even wonder whether or not they can technically be called true churches. Now, the book of 1 Corinthians chastens me on this. It pushes back on me. Be careful, Bill, how judgmental you get about these churches before you start calling them not churches. Be careful now, because the Corinthian church was pretty bad, okay? They are getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. Okay, that's bad. When you when you become a church where people are getting sloshed at the Lord's Supper and then gobbling down all the bread so that others don't have it, you're like, I, he's like, I need to see video of this. Like, what was going on at the Lord's Supper in the, in Corinth? Okay. You've reached a pretty low level. Okay. When you have people in the church marrying their stepmothers, right? They're coming in between the relationship between their dads and their, and their stepmom and marrying their stepmom. Okay. It's like, You've got issues. Let's just put it that way. You've got a complex pastoral situation there. The poor pastor of this church who's got to do the church counseling has got his hands full. Okay, he's going, what did I sign up for? That's pretty rough. You've got Christians suing each other in the church. We know the stuff that's coming in here, okay? You've got a church that's even questioning the resurrection. Paul's going, what's this I hear that some of you are saying there's no resurrection? That's that's how he begins, in 1 Corinthians 15. So, so we got theological problems. We've got moral problems. We've got just brotherhood problems. We've got, you're going to see the very next text, sectarianism, division in the church. Man, it's rough. Yet Paul begins to the church. 
the church. That's so humbling. He didn't say, now I'm not sure you guys are even a church anymore. He writes to the church of God, which is at Corinth. And then he says, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Okay? These are the most unsanctified people. When you read that, when you read the letter, you're just going to be like, what? But Paul calls them the church and he calls them sanctified. Sanctified means holified, right? Made holy. Sanctification in our theological textbooks would be the act of God's grace by which we over time are made holy. Right? God is in a process with you right now in Christ. When you became a Christian, something started to happen to you. A transformation began in you. And I'm sure if you reflect on your life, you can see moments at which, like, you know, you ever, you ever cut a tree down or see a tree cut down and look at the rings on the tree, right? You can count the age of the tree by the rings. And then sometimes you'll look at a tree and you'll look at the rings and they're unbelievably tight together. And there was very little growth that year. Maybe it was a dry year. Maybe, maybe, maybe at that time, the, 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 there were many trees around it. And it was very dense and it didn't get a lot of sunshine. And so very little growth in the tree. And then you'll see other times where all of a sudden there's a big gap, another big gap. And you're like, wow, okay, that must have been a great year. Must have been a year of a lot of rain. Uh, Maybe other trees fell down beside it. So it was able to get more sunshine. You You can see that in the rings. All the rings are not evenly spaced on a tree. And I'm sure you could, if, if you looked, if you kind of took a cross cut of your own spiritual life, I'm sure you would know times where woof, it was pretty dry. Very little spiritual growth over some time here. And then there were other times where it was just like leaps and bounds. You know, you were just, you know, things were happening and your prayer life was growing. You were deepening in God's word. That, that's, that's the, that's the Christian life. That is sanctification. That's the process. When you were born again, growth started. Tree rings started to form in your spiritual tree. And you started to be conformed to the image of Christ. And that is a lifelong process that God is doing by his Holy Spirit in every one of you. None of you is dead. None of you is stagnated. Every one of you has a spiritual growth ring this year. It may be tight, it may be narrow, but the Holy Spirit is doing his work in you and he will, he will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul will tell the, the Philippians. Now Paul speaks of this here to the Corinthians, but he puts it in the past perfect. It's done. You have been sanctified. And what's he mean by that? Does he mean, oh, they've been made holy. That's it. That the whole process was just like fast forwarded and completed. No, he, does, he doesn't mean that because he's going to go rebuke them for all kinds of lack of sanctification. But what he's saying is he's doing similar to what we looked at in Ephesians 1 earlier this morning. And that is to say, he's reminding them of what they are in Christ. That in Christ, Bill Spanger is sanctified. He is perfected. And now I am becoming more and more, I am growing into the form that God has established for me, namely Jesus. But in Jesus, Bill Spanger is sanctified and becoming more and more sanctified in my flesh every day. 
That is to say, when you were born again, two things actually happened. Right? When, when you were born again, when by the Holy Spirit, you who are dead in sin were made alive together with Christ, two things happened. In principle, you were fully sanctified, declared righteous and perfected in Christ. We call that, just to get theologically technical, we call that definitive sanctification. You were, you were definitively perfected in Christ. Your standing before God, the way God sees you, is in and through his son. And you are sanctified and you are holy and you are righteous. He sees you by faith through Christ. And therefore, because of your faith united to Christ, he sees you as sanctified and holy and pure. That happened. The minute you were born again and had faith, you received that in Christ. You were definitively sanctified before his presence. That is to say, God does not love you more or less throughout your life. You are, he sees you as perfect and righteous in and through his son. So that happened instantly. And then at the same time, the process of you being conformed to that image of you now actually becoming in your flesh what you are in Christ began at the same time. And Paul says this to the Corinthians, to losers like them, to losers like you and like me. You, members of affirmation, are the church. You are those who are sanctified in Christ. Not in yourself, in Christ. You are sanctified. And he's saying this to sinners like the Corinthians who are getting drunk at the Lord's table. So be encouraged. Right? You've, we've not yet reached that stage here at Affirmation. Praise God. For those on tape, make sure you know. <laughs> you are sanctified in Christ and then called to be saints. And here in that little phrase, called to be saints, I think Paul turns from what we are in Christ now. Here's what's true of you. Okay? You are right with God. You are his church. Church means, the Greek word for church means called out ones. Ekklesia, you hear the, the beginning, ek means out. You were called out. Just like Paul was called to be an apostle. Hey, Corinthians, you too have been called. You are the ecclesia. You are the called out ones. The church of God, he has called you. And as such, you are sanctified in Christ. Therefore, hear this, you have been called to be saints. Not saints like we think of in the Roman Catholic Church that is sort of the, the elite the Navy SEALs of the, of, of the Christian church, right? The, the special, uh, special forces of the, the church. No, 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 no. He just means you are called to be what God has declared you to be. Holy people. You have been called, the word saint is, is, is hagioi. I'm giving you a lot of Greek today. That's because I want to sound smart today. Okay. It's Father's Day. I'm trying to sound smart. Live up. Hagioi means holy ones. Holy ones. Because we don't hear that. You don't hear that necessarily. I mean, saints, you hear the same root as like sanctification, but, but we don't hear saint, oh, holy ones. We're not sure what it means. Saints means holy people. And what's holy mean? Holy means pure. It means set apart, called out. 
Same thing as church, if you will. You, you've been set apart unto righteousness, unto holiness, Corinthians. Affirmation, church. You are sanctified in Christ, and yet you have been called to be saints. Remember, Paul says to the Ephesians when he says, by grace you've been saved through faith, that none of yourself, it is the gift of God so that no man should boast. For you are God's workmanship created for good works, which God has prepared beforehand for you to do. But you have been called out for good works. Or think of Paul's words to the Romans. All those he foreknew, them he also predestined. So a lot of times we reform people cling to that, like, okay, he predestined us unto salvation. But we forget the next phrase in which he tells us why you have been predestined. All those he foreknew, he also predestined that they might be conformed to the image of his son. It's, it's not just, oh, you've, you've been predestined, you've been saved by grace through faith so that you can go to heaven when you die. Okay, yes, you will. But, th- but he doesn't say that. The why, when it comes down to why you've been saved, why you've been given this gift of grace, why you've been given faith, why you've been predestined is so that you might be holy. So that you might look like Jesus. And this is important for us because it takes salvation out of the realm of idea and gets it down into your fingertips and your toes. All of a sudden, salvation has something to do with the way you live, the way you spend your money, the way you spend your time, the way you engage in your relationships, the way you work, the way you socialize. Because you have been called to live a certain way. You have been saved to be saints. That's why he sanctified you in Christ. So, as we've been reflecting over the past couple weeks then, we need to live out what we are. That's why it's worth looking at Ephesians 1 for our exhortation, because we can look and say, well, here's what we are. Here's what we've been given. Well, that must inform then what I do. So, I love the way he speaks about the Corinthian church because we're about to go for a roller coaster ride with him dealing with this church. And yet it's very important for us to remember that even as such, he calls them those called by God, the ecclesia, those who are sanctified in Christ and those who are called to be saints. And then finally, he says, with, and this is where you kind of get roped into this, Because he says, so I'm writing this to the church of God, you Corinthians, who are sanctified, who are called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So, okay, that means you. You are the audience of this letter because he's writing to the church of God, yes, the Corinthians, but to also to all who in every place, even Somers, New York, call on the name of Jesus Christ their Lord and ours. Okay, so that means pay attention, affirmation, because we have much to learn from this. Now, dropping down to verses four through nine, let's just reflect quickly upon this phrase because he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. So Paul just delights in the fact that he looks at this group of Corinthians as muddled as they are, 
And what does he see when he sees them? He sees the grace of God poured out upon them. I just think that's a beautiful thing, right? He does not begin with the mess, though he will get there. But he's, I thank God for the grace that was given to you by Christ Jesus. And then the beautiful line in verse 5, which was my point of connection with Ephesians 1 and Psalm 103, that you were enriched in everything. So Paul rejoices in this muddled group of people who are the ones God has called out to himself and sanctified in his son. And he sees them flooded with grace and enriched in everything. Paul says to the Ephesians in our earlier text, praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has enriched you with everything. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, Paul's not, Paul is not speaking platitudes here. Paul is not just throwing out his opening letter cliches that he doesn't really mean. Just to give you evidence of this, and you don't have to do it, but if you just flip one page in your Bible over to 1 Corinthians 3, he, he's at, I mean, here's what he means by this. In, ver, in verse uh, chapter 3, down in verse 21, so I'm on the right column there at the top. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. He just, so what he said over in, in chapter 1 was, enriched in everything. And you go, okay, yeah, 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 Paul. I know this is your opening intro. But then when he gets into it in chapter 3, let no one boast in men for all things are yours, whether Paul, Apollos, or Cephas, the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. I mean... He's not just speaking platitudes. He, again, doubles down in 1 Corinthians 3. You are enriched in everything, and I mean that. You were enriched in having me. I am yours. And Peter is yours. And Apollos is yours. And the world is yours. And life is yours. Brothers and sisters, believe it or not, death is yours. When I say you are enriched in everything, I mean everything. Everything is yours. And in Christ, it is rich blessing to you. I know this is hard to believe. Death is a great enemy. And I, and Paul doesn't deny that. And, and later in this very book, he will say, and the last enemy to be defeated is death. But what he's saying is even your enemies are yours. Even your enemies are yours. Your enemies are yours, that is, even they, even death itself, serves you now in Christ because you are sanctified in him. You are literally enriched with everything. Everything is yours. Every spiritual blessing is yours. Everything in the world is yours in Christ. Which again, if we really believe this, think about how many things will be dealt with in our, in our life. I mean, the rat race just goes away if everything is yours. Envy goes away 
If everything is yours, worrying about time goes away, fearing death goes away. If everything is mine, if everything is mine, if everything serves me, which it does in Christ, because he tells us in Romans 8, again in that version, for we know that God works all things for our good. Those who love him and are called according to his purposes, all things are yours. Nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing can condemn you. Nothing can stand against you, he says in Romans 8. It's pretty strong language. And if we really believed it, we'd be bulletproof. If we really believed it, we'd just be fearless, unshakable men and women in our joy. I don't mean we wouldn't deal with grief. Paul wept. He doesn't bemoan. He doesn't say, why are you weeping? All things are yours. He says, we weep, but not like those who have no hope. Even the tears are mine, so cry them. You know, even the weeping is going to bless me, so weep. You know, that's how Paul, I think, would approach it. But we'd be super, we'd be, we'd be, we'd be supermen in a spiritual sense. I mean, I, I think Paul was. This is, a, this is why Paul can go to jail and sing so loud that it causes an earthquake. You know, the normal people don't do that, you know? Supermen do that. And again, I'm not, and, and Paul will be the first one to go, I'm no Superman, but you know what I mean. It's, it's not that Paul is. It's just that Paul is living in the power that God has given him in Christ and the freedom to know that, hey, Paul, even your jail sentence is yours. And I think Paul believed it. Paul really believed this stuff. So he says to them, all things are yours. You are enriched in everything. And then he kind of lists some things here. By him, in, so you've been enriched in everything by him, in all utterance and all knowledge. And by this, he's going to mean the gifts. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, the fact that you had received Christ, that testimony was confirmed in you by the manifestation of gifts. Brothers and sisters in Corinth, I've witnessed the gifts of the Spirit in you. Now, we're going to see these gifts in Corinth get funky. They start using them to rate each other and to say, well, oh, I have this gift, so I'm better than you, and you, you have, don't have the greater gift, you know. So they're gonna, they're gonna do weird things with these gifts, but Paul says, I've seen it. I've, I've seen the gifts here, the gift of knowledge and the gift of utterance. You're able to speak these things, maybe even prophetically. It's been confirmed in you. So that you come short in no gift. Corinthian church, again, as muddled as you are, you are the full package. You lack nothing. God has blessed your church and every gift. And we're going to read about this in 1 Corinthians 12 as he, as he kind of lists out the different ways the body works and how the Corinthians church is like a little microcosm of this. We are as well here at Affirmation. But this is a picture of the grand church as well. Because remember, he writes this to Corinth, but also to all in all ages who, in all places who believe in Christ. You come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who also, who will also confirm you to the end. So in some sense, you can see how Paul has just kind of worked us through what we, what was done for us. You were sanctified in Christ. You were enriched in all things through him. What you have now in the spirit, the gifts by which you are able to serve and minister, lacking no thing. 
and the future expectation and lacking no good thing. You're looking forward to the future, to that day when Christ is revealed and all things are set right. And then Paul says, and I'm telling you even there, he will confirm you to the end. He, he has, I love this because Paul just ex- exhibits supreme confidence in these people, even in their, in their flawed, muddled Christianity. He doesn't say, now look, you know, now there are, there are, he's going to say some hard things to them. So we're going to have to balance that as well. But he speaks with confidence. He will confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are sanctified in Christ, but in this process by which you are now growing to be what he has made you to be, in your sins and in your flaws, I am confident, Paul's saying, that on that day you will stand because he's going to confirm you. And he's going to say you are blameless. Not because of how good you've been, but because of what he has done for you. You will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Verse 9, because God is faithful. God is faithful. Not because you guys are really awesome and I know you can do it. But because God is faithful. And by him, by whom, you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, brothers and sisters here at Affirmation, may we find comfort in this because we're muddled, we're flawed. We confess our sins every Sunday when we come in here together uh, corporately because we acknowledge our failings. So we know we're not going to be too hard on the Corinthians. Granted, we're not getting drunk at the Lord's table. But nonetheless, we've got our own, we got our own skeletons in the closet. We've got our own, we've got our own problems. So we're not going to be too hard on the Corinthians. We're going to be encouraged, rather, to hear Paul encourage them and say, okay, if this word can be spoken to the Corinthians, then it can be spoken to us also. We are enriched in everything. We are called by God. We are sanctified in Christ. We are called to be saints. So let us use this truth as jet fuel rocket fuel to send us out of here then to be what God has made us to be and let us go forth knowing that he has not left us lacking any good thing. He has equipped us as his church by the spirit with the gifts necessary and let us go out of here with confidence knowing even in our failings, believe it or not, even our failings will be for us because everything is ours. Think about that for a little bit. Even your own failures will be redeemed for you. So they can't hurt you. So go out then with renewed confidence, knowing that on that day, you will be found blameless. Not because you tried really hard. Not because in the end, you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. But because you trusted in Christ. You were called by him and you trusted in him. And he will make you stand. He will declare you blameless. Because he is faithful and he is the one who has called you. So let us dwell on that, meditate on that, and go forth to serve him as the saints we've been called to be this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word through Paul to this broken, flawed, muddled church. And we confess, as we already have today, in our worship, that we too are broken, confused, muddled, flawed. 
led away by all sorts of weird teachings and distracted by the affairs of our little city. So forgive us, we pray, but remind us that we are enriched in everything because of what Christ has done for us and that all things are ours through him that we might go forth from this place serving you, Father, with all our hearts, souls, and minds and with the utmost confidence, not in ourselves, but in the one who has called us and the one who is faithful, for he will make us stand. And in him we have been sanctified unto that day. We give you praise in his name. Amen.